Well, it's good to see each and every one of you in the middle of your week, in the middle of the summer, that you put God first, and like Pastor Tim says, church days affect the rest of our days, that you took that to heart and you're here because you want to be here. A lot of times when uh, Pastor Tim is out of the pulpit and someone else fills in, usually Pastor Mike, he opens with something along the lines of, for those of you who don't know, I'm not Pastor Tim. Starts out something like that. Well, for those of you who don't know, I'm not Pastor Tim, but I'm probably as close as you're going to (laughs) get. At least when it comes to DNA. (laughs) And and in fact, you could just tell people that Pastor Tim was here because most of you know me as Lee, but I'm actually a junior. Timothy Lee Gilligan Jr. So just if if you know someone who missed tonight, say, yeah, Pastor Tim, he tore it up. And you you wouldn't be lying, all right? I wouldn't tell you to lie in church. Well, I'm excited about what I have to share with you tonight. And uh, before I get into that, though, um, this is my first opportunity speaking in this capacity. I've taught in Next Generation Ministries throughout there from middle school through college. And with our academy, I've taught chapels and discipleship classes with Disciple U. I've taught in different capacities, but this is my first time getting to share with you. So since I'm here, I thought I would um, thank you <laughs> for that one hand clap. <laughs> I thought I would give you just a little bit of a glimpse at my family. To put it into perspective, when my father and mother moved here and planted Meadowbrook Church, I was three and a half years old, the first Sunday. And so I've seen the ups and the downs, the good and the bad, from the very beginning to where we are now, seen all that God has done. And it's a cool perspective because, you know, I've seen everything, and I truly have such great pride and such a great commitment to this body and the work that God is doing here. And I am planted here, and until God would show me elsewhere, this is where I want to be, and I'm happy to serve here. But I say that to say, the 23 years of the church, this has been my life. And so now I stand here today, 23 years later, I'm 26, I have a beautiful wife, Katie, and I have a little boy, Gavin, who just turned two. And I found out instantly that once you have a child, no one ever asks about you anymore. No, no, one, no one asks how you're doing, no one wants to come over and see you. If the phone rings, if someone's calling, how's Gavin? What's Gavin into? If I run into someone at church, where's the baby? How big is he now? What, you know, what's he doing? And so, it, you know, I, I like it. I got used to it, but for a while I was like, my feelings were kind of hurt. But, you know, our life instantly became all about him. So I understand that people want to know about the baby. But my dad, he loves it. He loves being people, as, as um, Gavin calls him. People and Mimi. And he is constantly getting people coming through the door, approaching him, saying, we want to see a current picture of Gavin. You know, what's Gavin doing? Could you bring him in service? You know, they always want to see Gavin. So not everyone has the opportunity to. So since I'm here and I have this opportunity, I'll show you a little bit of my family because people hasn't kept up his part of the bargain. He's kind (laughs) of, he's dropped the ball and uh, Gavin's growing and time's flying. So I figured I'd do my part. So if you want to put up that first picture, This is my wife, Katie, and we've been married three and a half years. On the left, that's Mother's Day, and then the one on the right, that's all three of us with Gavin um, at Easter this past year. You go to the next one. This one's just Gavin, a little montage. (laughs) I show these three to kind of show you that he's all boy. He loves cars, he loves to eat, and he loves to play outside naked. (laughs) I mean, mean, do it while you can, because you can't get away with that after a certain point. But we, we encourage it, at least at this age. <laughs> and then the last one, this is our, our puppy, Penny. Funny thing about her, you constantly hear my dad talk about my mom's dog, you know, KJ. Anytime he works his way to a sermon illustration, well, that's, it's, he clearly makes it known that that's my mom's dog. Well, it's kind of the opposite for us. Katie's the one who rescued Penny. 
about a year ago. I was at work, I, and she sends me a picture and says, do you like her? And I'm like, yeah, she's cute. We'll talk about it later. And she says, well, I already got her. So, <laughs> so I'm thinking, what has she done? Well, immediately I fell in love with her, and Katie's the one who has the, you know, she, she has short patience for her. And um, she's actually a pit bull and a dachshund. I'm not even sure how that works, but <laughs> that's what she is, and it actually makes a really sweet breed. So she's, she's got my heart. That's our little girl, Penny. So just a little glimpse at, at, at our family. Um, a funny thing happened recently. My whole life, I've watched my dad, whenever he does certain sermon illustrations or stories, anytime he mentions something material as an example, somehow that thing has a way of the next week someone has given him multiple of that thing. For example, a few years back, he uh, mentioned Hershey's chocolate syrup in his message. I don't even remember now what, what it was that he was using it for. It's just an example. Well, the next week, he has literally 10-plus cans of this Hershey's chocolate syrup. And we still have an overstock at his house of chocolate syrup. And it's just, you know, people hear that stuff. It's funny. It sticks with them. And then, you know, just to be, you know, funny, they buy it for him. So last week, a week ago tonight, I was talking to a couple here in the church. And they were asking about who? Gavin. And, and, they, and they were wondering if he was a picky eater. And I'm like, kind of. I'm like, but he loves eggs. So Sunday morning, I get here early before service. I go by my office. And in my box, there's a huge carton of farm fresh raised eggs from their farm. And in Sharpie, it says Gavin Gilligan. So I was like, wow, mention it. <laughs> Ask and you shall receive, right? <laughs> so tonight, I'm going to do my best to try and work in an illustration of maybe an iPad or... Uh, all right, all right, all right. Maybe some Starbucks gift cards. We'll settle at that. <laughs> totally kidding. You can just get by with chocolate syrup. But <laughs> for real, though, it's an honor to be here tonight. This is actually very surreal for me because, like I said, this has pretty much been my life since I was just a little bit older than Gavin. This is what I've known. And I'm glad to be here, and I'm grateful for this honor. About two months back, Dad and I were driving on our way to a conference kind of quiet. It was early in the morning, and he says, how would you like to share on a Wednesday night? And I was like, share on a Wednesday night? What do you mean? He's like, how would you like to cover a Wednesday for me when I'm gone in July? And I was just like dead silent. He's like, well, you can pray about it. And I said, I don't need to pray about it. I've honestly been anticipating my whole life that this question would be asked at some point. Not that I expected it, but, you know, I just thought the opportunity would arise. So the answer is yes, but it just, it terrifies me. He's like, why, why would it terrify you? And I said, not like in a, in a fear sense, not that I'm scared to do it. I'm totally comfortable in this type of setting, but it's just, I realize the great responsibility that it is to stand in this pulpit and to share with this church body because it's not something that should ever be taken lightly. And whenever you're sharing, especially to a church crowd, to believers, when you're sharing the word of God, you never want it to be something that's your agenda, just your idea, something, oh, that sounds good, I'll talk on that. So that was really the biggest thing. Once I said yes, I began to think, all right, well, what, what do I want to talk about? And I had a handful of ideas, and I felt like I was just forcing things. Even though I was praying about it, I was like, is this the direction I want to go? I'm just not sure. And I decided, you know what, I'm just going to shelf it. I'm going to trust God and that he'll show me the right way. And we went away to the beach about a month ago. And I said, God, just confirm it in my heart. Show me, you know, confirm which idea, what, what you want me to share. And three mornings in a row in my quiet time, not when I was trying to study for this or prepare for this, but just seeking God, just, just praying and spending time in the word. There was three little things that he showed me and it kind of confirmed where we're going. So tonight, this is a message that I've actually taught before about a year ago in our college and twenties ministry. And the title of my message is called in the process, say in the process. And that's not really going to make much sense till the very end when I kind of show you what that process is. 
But really the topic that I'm going to be sharing on tonight is our God-given potential. And usually when you hear the word potential, you think of one person's ability or capacity to do something, to to pull something off. Like, do they have the potential to get that done? But when I talk about God-given potential, I don't just mean one person's ability to do something, but I mean God's ability to do something in that person, through that person, and for that person. And so each and every one of you here tonight, the first thing I want to tell you is that you have God-given potential. Each and every one of you. Hopefully someone in your lifetime has told you at one time or another that you have potential, that you have a call of God on your life, that you have gifts that are unique to you. God wants to do things through you to touch people's lives. Hopefully someone's told you those things. But if they haven't, I want to confirm in your life right now, God wants to do great things in you, through you, and for you. Amen? Now, the important thing when it comes to potential is this, that potential unrealized is just potential. Say it again. Potential unrealized is just potential. You you might be sitting there thinking about it, but basically someone could tell you all day till they're blue in the face that you have potential. But until you realize that, till you are you believe in that enough that you're compelled to develop that potential and to do everything you can to see that brought to pass in your life, to see it bear fruit, it's just potential. It's just an idea. It's just wishful thinking. I can tell you right now that you have potential in God, but until you realize that for yourself and are compelled to do what it takes to see that potential come to fruition in your life, it's just potential. So let's be compelled leaving tonight. Let's, let's really lock in for these next 30 minutes or so and, and see what God would have for us, talking to us on each and every one of our own God-given potential. I was going to use the board tonight, you know how my dad does, and I thought about it and I was like, my handwriting is almost as bad as his, so I probably won't. <laughs> I'll just trust you guys to take good notes. So I'm probably going to throw a lot at you, but um, hopefully you can get by without the board. Two things that I want to share with you real quick. Pastor Tim talks a lot about, um, the, he uses the illustration of like a ditch. Well, I'm kind of going to use the same illustration. You know, there's two ditches. Well, I'm going to, okay, maybe a better word is a spectrum. Tonight, you know, we have all these people here, and there's some people at this end of the spectrum where maybe you just showed up tonight. You've never really gone to church. You don't really have a relationship with God. You've, you've never really acknowledged him in your life. But the thing that you need to know is that even though you haven't, He wants to do great things in your life, whether you know him or not. Then you have other people, maybe at this end of the spectrum, you've gone to church your whole life. You've grown up a believer and God has done countless great things in you, through you, and for you. Well, the good news is he's not done. He wants to do more great things. So whatever end of the spectrum that you're at tonight, he wants to do great things and he wants to do more great things and more great things in each and every one of us. Now, the important thing to realize is that just because God has potential for you, just because he wants to do great things and he has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of you, does not mean that those things are going to happen and it's going to be easy sailing. Just because he says, I have, a, I have a great plan for you, doesn't mean you just fly, be free, and there's never a care in the world. There's going to be limitations. There's going to be things that pop up, bumps in the road, things that the devil would try to do to throw you off track. So realize that there are challenges, and there's two different types of these challenges. There's the N-word, which would be the things that we control, um, our decisions, our, our mindset, the, the, the habits we form, the things that we could do that would cause challenges 
getting in between us and our God-given potential. And then there's the outward, the things beyond our control, the, the, the outside influence, what people would say, what people think about us, peer pressure, um, the, the attack of the enemy. So there's inward challenges and there's outward. And I, I beg you to find me a person in the Bible that God used greatly that had no limitations or challenges. Pretty much anyone that you look at that he used greatly, there was, there was a load of things that they had to endure or overcome in that process. Uh, it's kind of like Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. You know, there was great things God did through these people, but there was also great things that they had to uh, work through. And one of the biggest examples of that would be David. His whole life, his whole ministry, everything that God did through him, there was a lot he had to go through. And there was both outward things, outward challenges that were beyond his control, but then there was also the inward, the things that he could, could, could control. And David dropped the ball time and again. He messed up greatly but God still used them greatly. So realize there will be challenges. Let's go to 1 Samuel 16. And what we're looking at here is, this is the very beginning of David's ministry, and God has sent Samuel to anoint the new king of Jerusalem. And he doesn't know exactly who he's going to look for. He just knows that he's going to know when he sees him. So he approaches, and, and here we pick up. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, This is not the one that the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shimea. But Samuel said, Neither is this the one that the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, Are these all the sons that you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he is out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and he was handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, This is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil that he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. So the part I want to show you specifically is obviously Jesse's here and he's brought his sons, the ones that he considers eligible um, to stand before Samuel. And Samuel looks at each one and says, None of these are him. And that's when they pull David in. But the point I'm trying to make is in the, the very early part of that, it says in verse 7, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge outwardly, but the Lord looks at the heart. So even his own family wasn't considering him, but he had God-given potential to do what, what God had sent Samuel there to anoint him to do. But, it, but right there, there was a challenge, an outward challenge. Those people didn't see, it, see him. He probably didn't even consider himself worthy of that. He probably never thought of it. He was a shepherd in the field, a young boy. It was a lowly occupation, but God had a plan. And so the important thing to realize is that the Lord sees the things that man overlooks. You may overlook something in yourself. People all around you may speak down on you and say things about you that causes, you know, they don't even consider you for that, but it doesn't matter what you see or what they see. It matters what God sees and that he sees the things that we overlook. So I want to highlight three different things that I believe we, at the inward challenge, the things that we have control of, ourself, three things that would be some of the biggest obstacles that would cause us from reaching our God-given potential. And the first one of these is self-sufficiency. Say self-sufficiency. 
This would be the I can do it all on my own mindset. The, the approach that you don't need help, you don't need counsel, you got it, you're a go-getter, you're ambitious, you, you've proven yourself before, and you just kind of think that you can do everything on your own. And, and, and it can tend to pride. I'm not saying that if you're ambitious or that you are accomplished that, you're, you know, that your self-sufficiency is wrong, but I mean that anytime we try to do something apart from God, apart from God's favor, apart from godly counsel, apart from the plan that he has for our lives, then we're not going to have his grace. And whatever it is that we're trying to do, is, it's going to be harder. And the, the truth is, you obey God, you, you hear what he's saying, well, if you obey him, he's, he's going to equip you. If he's called you, he's already equipped you. It's not like he asks you to do something and then says, on your way, and it's kind of like, good luck, you know. If he's called you, he's equipped you. He's given you everything you need to do that specific thing. Maybe it's a business venture. Maybe he's given you a God idea and you feel strongly about this, but you're kind of afraid how to approach it. And and, and maybe you're tending towards self-sufficiency. You think maybe your idea is better or I'll just do it, you know, on my own. Well, God's going to send you the resources. He's going to send the people across your path. He's going to open the doors. The finances will be there. It'll all be right in his timing because if God's calling you, he has equipped you. 2 Peter 1, 3-4 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything that we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Notice it says he's given us everything that we need for a godly life. It doesn't say some things. It doesn't say that he's given everything to this person but not that person. It's all there. It's finished. He's done it. The work is done. It's up to us to seek him, to tap into him, and to take authority and take advantage of those things that he's given us. Realize that you are stronger in God. If he has a plan and a purpose, he's going to equip you. Don't be sufficient in and of yourself. Be sufficient in an all-sufficient God who's not limited by our circumstances. A pastor down in Fort Lauderdale, Bob Coy, pastors a great church. He said, rather than strive to be a self-made somebody— we should strive to recognize our utter helplessness apart from the helper. So rather than putting all your energy and your time and your efforts into trying to be a self-made somebody, realize that apart from the helper, you're helpless. You're limited. Let's take advantage of an all-sufficient God. Amen? Amen. The second thing that I want to look at that can get in our way of our God-given potential is insecurity insecurity. And I believe that if every one of us is honest, we deal with insecurity on an ongoing basis in some degree. And you may say that you don't, but at some point in your life, you you know what it feels like. You know what insecurity is. And specifically, I'm talking about the fear of man. There may be different types of insecurity, but the most crippling and constant form of that would be the fear of man, because we care what people think. We want approval. We want to be... um, We want people to think well of us and to know that we're living up to people's expectations of us. But the danger is when we fear man more than we fear God. The danger is when we care more what man thinks of us, forgetting entirely what God would think of us. And that can control your life and that can lead to a really bad path. So the important thing is to constantly, every difficult situation that you're facing, every question, anything that you're teetering on and you feel, okay, well, you know, they're expecting this of me. These people will think bad of me if I do this. Well, ask yourself, who do I fear more? Do I fear God more or do I fear man more? And when you can get to that point that you honestly can say, you know what? I fear God more. You're not going to care what man thinks. You're not going to care about who's saying what because you know you're being obedient and that God is your security. 
You don't have to live in security. You don't have to live in fear. Fear and insecurity are not of God. We serve a good God, and so whatever is good is of Him. But if it's not of God, or if it's not good, then it's not of God. So don't give in to your insecurity. Timothy was another person that God used greatly in the Bible, and he definitely had his share of trials and hardships. And his biggest thing was insecurity about his youth. Just like David, he was called into ministry at a young age. And so he's being mentored under Paul, taught under Paul, but he's really struggling with this insecurity. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Don't give in to that fear. It's, it's okay to acknowledge the fear. It's okay to say, wow, I'm dealing with this insecurity, but face it and work through it and realize that God has given you a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Helen Keller, she was blind, she was deaf, she was dumb, she had everything working against her in the natural. But some of the most profound pieces of wisdom, some of the most amazing quotes came from her and the wisdom that she had because she was an overcomer and she didn't let her deficiencies stop her. And she, I want to read this quote by her. It said, face your deficiencies and acknowledge them, but do not let them master you. So you may be dealing with a healthy amount of insecurity right now. It's all right. Don't let it master you. Face it. Realize that it's real, but you know who, where your security comes from, and that's in God. Don't give in your insecurity. Be secure in him. The third thing that I believe would get in the way of you and your God-given potential, and this is a big one, another one we're all guilty of, is laziness. Laziness. And you may be a perfectionist-type personality. You may be a little OCD like myself. And um, you say, no, I'm not lazy. You know, I'm always getting stuff done. I never stop. You know, I'm productive. And that's how I am. You can ask my wife. I, I tend to have perfectionist qualities. I want things done a certain way. I could get into details, but it would kind of be scary. It's kind of like that movie, A, Be- a Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe. <laughs> right, maybe not that bad. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then just forget what I said. <laughs> but I can be OCD. But even in that OCD-ness, I still get lazy. I still have times where I'm like, you know what? I don't care. I'm not doing nothing. That can wait. I'll put it off. Really, maybe a better word for this would be procrastination procrastination. We all, we all know what that feels like, but let's not make light of procrastination. Um, I, I read something the other day. This pastor said, procrastination can be assassination of the great future that God has for you. And I thought, what? Well, that, that's pretty bold, but it's true when you think about it. Life is precious. Life is, you know, it's, things, it's here today, but it could be gone tomorrow. The day and age in which we live in, the, you know, there's unexpected things happening all the time. Just look at the shootings last week in Colorado. No one was expecting that, but it just shows the fragileness of life. And so if God is calling you to obedience, you can't afford to just say, well, I'm going to be lazy today. I'm going to, I'm going to procrastinate. I can do it tomorrow. God wants complete and immediate obedience because partial obedience, I learned this the hard way, partial obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. If my parents were asking me to do something and I did it, you know, just partially, I got in trouble. If they asked me to do something right then and I waited to do it, I got in trouble. Well, it's no different with God. If anything, it's more severe. If he's calling you to do something, if he wants you to be obedient, be obedient. Don't, don't waste your life. Don't waste your time. Obey him completely and immediately because time is precious. The Bible uses words to describe the fragileness of life. Words like fleeting, words like fading, words like vapor, 
The, all these words, you know, that's how it describes life because it's so fragile. And we need to take advantage of what we have today and not take for granted the breath that we're breathing right now. James four thirteen through 17 says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. You don't know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It's a vapor. It's here today, but it could be gone tomorrow. Don't waste time being disobedient. Don't waste time saying, ah, well, it's, it's all right to procrastinate just a little. You know, we joke about procrastination, and um, I'm not beating down on anyone tonight. You know, this is in a house of condemnation. We all deal with it, but realize the severity of it and that life is precious. Don't boast in your arrogance. If you know what's good and you know to do it, then do it. Obey God completely and immediately. Amen? Amen. So we talked about the three things that I think are big ones in keeping us from our God-given potential. That is self-sufficiency, insecurity, and laziness. Well, now I'm getting to the point where I said the title of my message was In the Process. Well, what is that process? What does it mean to be in the process? Well, I'm not a prophet tonight, and I don't claim to be by any means. So don't come to me after service and say, well, what's my God-given potential? What's God going to do in me? When is he going to do this? Well, I'm believing for this. When is it going to happen? I can't tell you. And, 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 I, and I don't claim to, to know. So I can't tell you what God's going to do in your individual life. But what I can tell you is that we all have the same path to take in getting there. It's going to be the same process for all of us. Maybe not down to the detail, but as far as how we obey, we're all called to a very specific process. And when I say the word process, usually when you hear that, you don't think, you don't associate process with immediate. You know, something could be a quick process, Something could happen quickly. But usually when you hear the word process, it involves patience. You, you think that it would involve steps. It's going to involve us. It's going to involve time. But patience is not something that a lot of us uh, really like. We, we don't exercise it well, especially in the day and age in which we live, the society in which we live. We want things finalized and complete. We want things the way we want them when we want them, how we want them. And, and if it doesn't happen that way, we get annoyed, we get frustrated. It's just how we're being wired more and more because fast food and instant downloads for movies and music and just everything you can think of, we get it exactly how we want it, when we want it. So it's hard to exercise patience. And in our lives, when we're believing for something, if it isn't tangible when we want it, if it, if it seems far off, we tend to grow frustrated. We tend to question God. We, we begin to wonder, is he active? Is he involved in my life? Is he even hearing my prayers? And it's easy to fall in that questioning, period, if, if we're honest. There's times where all of us have questioned God and thought, is, is he ever going to come through? And that, that's fine. If, if something seems far off, that would be our natural tendency. We're not perfect. And so it's easy to get frustrated. But I encourage you to be in the process. And you're saying, what does that mean? Well, dad talks a lot and says, for every problem, there's a promise. For anything you could be facing in the Bible, there's a very specific promise for that. And you need to find those promises. You need to memorize them. You need to internalize them. And you need to stand on those things and realize that God's promises do not return void to us. He will come through on his word. He will perfect his way in our lives. But the thing is, it's not always when and how we expect. 
It's not always how we expect or when we expect it. One promise that a lot of people know and stand on, it's a very true, beautiful promise, but I believe it's one of the most misused pieces of Scripture, is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's a very real promise. And God has a plan and a purpose. He has good and not evil, a future and a hope for each and every one of us. But it's important when you read that scripture that you don't just read it by itself, but that you understand the the history, the context of what was going on in that time, the dialogue surrounding there. Too often we look just at 2911. Well, let's go back to chapter 28 and let's look at, we have two prophets, Hananiah and Jeremiah, and they're standing in the middle of the temple. The Babylonians have come through, destroyed the temple, ran all the people into captivity, took all their belongings. Everything they had was taken from them. So Hananiah looks at Jeremiah and he says, the Lord is going to restore all of this in two years. He's going to restore all of this in two years. So think about it. Temple rebuilt, all the people back out of captivity, all the belongings back. It's not impossible, but anytime someone tells you exactly how and when God is going to do something, I would be very careful. Be very careful. Like I said, I'm not a prophet. There's not too many prophets walking around who have the authority to speak into your life. You, your source and, and your filter needs to be God, your relationship with God and seeking him and trying to hear him on your own. So Hananiah makes this bold statement that God's going to restore all this in two years. And it's not like Jeremiah is being a downer, but if you read on, they were in captivity for 70 years. So it didn't happen in two years. So when we get to 29 verse 11, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, it says, Plans for good, not of evil, future and hope. The important part is that, yes, God had a plan of good. He had a future and a hope, but it wasn't in the time or manner that Hananiah said. Read on to 13 and 14. It says, You will find me when you seek me with all of your heart, and then I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you. You'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'm not saying that Hananiah wasn't prepared to see God, but he wanted the quick fix. Jeremiah kind of here is in the process of saying, yeah, God's going to come through, but we have to seek him with all our heart. And when we seek him, we'll find him. And then God's going to restore our fortunes. He's going to restore everything that was lost. The blessing here, the restoration, is directly tied to being in right relationship with God. And right relationship with God is seeking him with all your heart. It flows from seeking him with all your heart. So just because his promises aren't always how or when we plan, that's not our worry. Our responsibility, our job is to be in the process, to seek God, amen? And to know that he is going to do his part. So maybe tonight, you're not believing God for a kingdom restoration. Your temple wasn't destroyed. Your people weren't driven into captivity. Your belongings weren't stolen. And if you did have belongings stolen, I apologize. But maybe you're believing for a a different type of restoration. Maybe it's a restoration in your marriage. Maybe it's a restoration in a relationship that's been strained. Maybe it's a restoration for kids that have turned away from what they know is right. And and you're just trusting God that in the right time, they're going to return home and they're going to return to what it is that they know is true, what they were raised on. Maybe you're believing for restoration in your finances. Maybe it's restoration in a business. Maybe it's restoration in your body, and your health. Whatever your restoration it is, whatever it's, it is that you're facing, what process are you in? Are you in the process of Hananiah that you're telling God when he's going to do something? 
Are you manipulating his promises? Are you in the process of Jeremiah where you say, Lord, I can't see the full picture. I don't know how this is all going to play out or when it's going to play out, but I trust that you do. And I trust that you are going to perform your work. You are going to be faithful and complete this in my life. And I'm going to seek you with all my heart. I'm going to seek you to know you. I'm going to seek you so that I can be in right relationship with you and trust you that you are going to take care of me. Be in that Jeremiah process. Seek him with all your heart. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. Don't doubt God. Trust that he will perfect his way in your life. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that he has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything beautiful in its time. So some of you, maybe he's already, you've already received your restoration. Maybe you have a testimony of something amazing that he's done in your life. But others of you, you're still wondering like, God, where are you? Well, he will make everything beautiful in its time. Each and every one of you, I told you at the beginning, he has, there's God-given potential on your life. He wants to do great things and he wants to do more great things in you, through you, and for you. Seek him and realize that he is going to make everything beautiful in its time. Trust God's timing. Trust God's way. Don't get impatient and say, Lord, finish this. Don't put God on your timetable. Don't tell God what you're going to do. Don't manipulate his promises. If we knew what God knew, we wouldn't do what we do. If we knew everything that he knew, if we could see all that he sees, maybe we wouldn't be saying some of the things that we're saying or or even believing for some of the things that we're believing. Like I said, we want things the way we want them, how we want them. If not, we get frustrated. Well, maybe we're trying to tell God something that really God has something better for us. And we just need to be patient. We need to be in the process of seeking him. Whatever it is you're believing for, trust that God knows all and you don't. And so if you knew what he knew, you wouldn't do what you do. do. Trust God to do his part. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere present. He knows the beginning from the end. He has a plan and a purpose for you. And he's going to take care of you. If we knew what he knew, I think we would change our thinking. I read a quote recently that said, We generally overestimate what God wants to do through us in the short run. And we almost always underestimate what he wants to do in the long run. I'm going to read that again because I think it's good. We generally overestimate what God wants to do through us in the short run. And we almost always underestimate what God wants to do in the long run. It's like our immediacy, our, our, our wanting stuff done now, we overestimate what he may be planning to do now. But in the long run, in the course of our life, our future, that hope we're believing for, we underestimate him. Don't underestimate God. Trust God. Seek him and be in that process. Let God do what he does best. Be committed to the process. Psalms 1, 2 through 3 says, They love the Lord's teachings, and they think about those teachings day and night. They are strong like a tree planted by a river. The tree produces fruit in season, and its leaves do not die. Everything that they do will succeed. So as you're in this this process, I encourage you to fall in love with his teachings. Find his promises, dwell on them, love his law, and be planted day and night. It says that the tree is strong, planted by a river, produces fruit in season. Leaves don't die, and everything they do will succeed. Be a tree, be planted. Be committed to this process, and trust God that as you come to know him more, that as you dwell on his promises, that he's going to perfect his way in your life, everything you do will succeed. 
John Piper, some of you may know who he is, a great pastor, writer, theologian. He said, you weren't meant to be somebody, you were meant to know somebody. And this goes back to that self-made somebody thing that I said at the beginning, self-sufficiency. Too often, we're, we're trying to be somebody. We're trying to make stuff our, on our own way, when really we need to know somebody. And that somebody is God. And we get that backwards. But I encourage you guys, get that in the right order. This is exactly what I'm talking about, this process. Put him first, seek him, then you'll be somebody. Then you'll have fruit in your life. Then you'll reach your God-given potential. Don't just be trying to be somebody, but realize that you were meant to know somebody. You were meant to know God. And right where you're at, I just kind of want to uh, affirm all of you. I don't care what you've done recently. I don't care what you've done today. I don't care what you've been going through how rough your year has been. God wants to use each and every one one of you. He doesn't look at you for what you are. He sees you for what you can become. He has foreknowledge. Like I said, he knows all. He sees what he created you to do. Trust God and know that you can leave here perfectly positioned for your God-given potential. None of you are better than anyone else. Like I said, he has a plan for you. He wants to do great things. And you can leave here tonight, regardless of how you came in. You can, really, you can leave position for your future to do great things by being in the process. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Ask and you'll receive. Be in the process. Amen. Did you get anything out of this tonight? If you would, thank you. If we could have every head bow and every eye close, I just want to pray over you guys real quick. Thank you, Jesus. Still with your heads bowed. What I, what I shared tonight, this isn't just something that I felt God gave me to, to just tell others, but this is something God deals with me on on a regular basis. Something that God's been working with me on. To trust Him, to be in that process, to not rush Him, to not do things the way I want them done. And like I said, I taught this a year ago in C20. And when God kind of urged me to teach this again, you know, I refined it and I felt like He was giving me more. And I really feel this is something I'm passionate about. So I encourage you to just let these things that we've talked about, receive them. See where you can apply them to, to your life. And know without a shadow of a doubt that God has great things he wants to do in you, through you, and for you. He's no respecter of persons. Dear Father God, I thank you right now for every sweet individual that is in this place. Each and every person that you created, you formed, you loved. You have a plan and a purpose for them. And you brought them here tonight for such a time as this. To hear this message exactly how you wanted them to hear it, Father. I speak your blessing upon them. I thank you that their heart's cry would be to know you more. That their heart's cry would to be in right relationship with you. That they would be convicted where they need to be, Lord. That each and every one of us would search ourselves and you would show us the things you want us to work on, the things that we need to apply. And that we would be committed to being in the process. That our personal spiritual progress would be our main priority. Thank you that as we leave this place tonight, Father God, 
that this would stay with us, that we would internalize it, and that we would make this a daily thing, a daily process, trusting you, Lord, because we love you and we want your will for our life. As we leave this place, we pray, Father God, that your peace would be upon us, your peace which surpasses all understanding, your joy which is our strength, your favor which covers us like a shield. Like Pastor Haran taught last week, we are never alone. We are never without help. You are on our side. You are for us. You sustain us. You are our source. In the Psalms, it says, you may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but you will fear no evil. Right now, if you're in the the shadow of death, It says walk through. It doesn't say stop, make camp. Walk through. Wherever you're at, God's going to bring you through. He is with you. Jesus, let us know that tonight. Let us walk out of here totally confident, totally equipped, knowing that we are primed to reach our God-given potential in you, to do great things in us, through us, and for us. Thank you for every person here, Lord. We love you. We lift you up. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said amen and amen.